So I wanted to talk to you guys about my journey with ADHD, better known as Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, ADD, it all follows under the umbrella, and my struggles in school. This has been actually weighing on my mind that I really wanted to share my story as I've been doing my podcast. Little snippets have kind of come back, flashbacks, you could say, have come back into my head. And I want to share because there are some people out there that actually might have children that are struggling or you might be struggling yourself. And you might be able to relate with a little, little bit and kind of give you peace and some things that helped me through my journey. So my quote today is actually something that I came up with. It's not really a quote. It's maybe a little bit of a preach, but God gave you strengths and weaknesses for a reason. And as a child, it's really hard to understand why, but when you become an adult and you look back and see, ah, okay, I see why he made me this way. And I have to say, you know, certain things that I struggled with as a child, I probably would not embrace, but I know it has made me and shaped me to be the adult that I am today and have compassion and understanding for other people that might be going through the same thing. So I, you know, thank God for actually how he made me. And if you don't believe in God, you know, how the universe made you, but some, you know, you are made for a specific reason. Mom, excuse me, mom. Mom, excuse me. Mom, excuse me, mom. Welcome to Next Stop Crazy Town. This is Juliette Hahn, and I am the host of this weekly pod. I'm going to be sharing with you guys a little glimpse of my crazy world. I'm a mom of three, and I have two crazy boxer dogs. I will have guests some weeks, and some weeks it will just be me, but I will always be talking about uncomfortable things that have happened to me before motherhood or during motherhood. I just want you to know that you are not alone in this crazy world. Things happen that people don't like to talk about, but guess what? I do. I cannot wait for you guys to join me every week just to get a little luck. So I'm going to start with, I was a really happy, energetic, free-spirited child. The stories that my family tells you know, from relatives to my parents is that I never stopped. I never stopped talking. The second I could start talking, I talked and talked and talked. I was always on the move. I crawled out of my crib before I could walk. I climbed up on the refrigerator early on in my toddler years. You know, my mom was in the other room, came in, and I was on top of the refrigerator. I opened cabinets and figured out a way to get up there. I thought it was the best thing ever. I picked up my sister. When I was probably two, she was sleeping in the other room. My mom was doing laundry right, you know, around the corner, but I picked her up really quietly and brought her in as a newborn. I ran into an elevator when the rest of the family was waiting. The doors closed. I like waved. I just was always on the go, but I was a really happy, happy kid. And my relatives will always say, you know, I was always entertaining, always performing for them, doing something silly, doing something happy. So those are the memories that I have as a child. And then when you go to school, okay, so I guess my first memory of realizing I learned different was in fourth grade. And I'm sure it happens before, but like my first vivid memory, I was in fourth grade and I went to Baker School. I grew up in a town called Morristown, M-O-O-R-E-S-T-O-W-N. People mistake it with Morristown. I grew up outside of Philly, not outside of New York. And it was a fluent town, a town that a lot of people had a lot of strength. So, you know, it was a successful town. So the kids were successful. Most kids that I knew, my circle of friends did not struggle in school. They were good athletes. I was a good athlete, but I really struggled in school. So sitting in fourth grade, and there was probably 20 of us, and I'll never forget it. The kids were all picked to go into gifted and talented. And they, were, they went into a separate room with a separate teacher and they learned all these really cool things. I remember them coming in like afterwards and talking about it. So 
myself and another classmate, his name was Rodney. I'm going to leave his last name out of it. We went to help us read better. So the rest of my class, the rest of my friends all went to this really fun thing that they would all be so hyped about when they came. And I went to a separate room and read with, and I'm going to leave her name out as well, but her name was Dr. P. She had crazy curly tight, this was in the 80s, so tight curls, like almost like a football helmet, but like a mullet, like a football mullet of curls. She had the saggiest boobs and a large butt. And the reason why I tell you is because I want you to picture this. So, you know, I'm 10 or 11 and I'm sitting with Rodney, who was a fun jokester. He used to get into a lot of trouble in school. I used to just, I was like the one that always talked. So I always had to sit in the front of the room. You know, I couldn't sit with my friends because I would always talk and distract people. But he was a little bit naughty. So he would do naughty things, but just a really good, you know, fun kid. And we would have to sit there and read The Blue Dolphin. I remember it very vividly. And every time Dr. P would read, so she would read and then we would have to read back what we read and we, you know, we'll have to like work on the sentences. And I just remember it being a real struggle. Like it was not easy for me. So Rodney had this long hair. He always had it in these little braids. And his thing was he would take his eyelids and flip them, okay? And he had really dark skin. So when he flipped his eyelids, they were like so red. It was like a really cool sight, but he would do this to like freak people out. I didn't get freaked out, but I would laugh hysterical. So every time Dr. P would look down to read, he would look at me, flip his eyelids and make this crazy face. I would laugh. She would yell at me for laughing and we would like giggle and you know, whatever. So, you know, you guys have to focus. Look at this. Tell me what this says. I mean, I can't tell you how many times teachers would tell me I had to focus more. I had to focus more. I had to pay attention. So this was, this was my earliest memory. And I remember just being like, Ugh, and my friends being like, where do you go? We all go over here. Where, why aren't you with us? And I was like, I don't know. I guess I'm, you know, and when you're that age, I guess I said I, I struggled in school. I don't really remember what I said. I'm sure I made a joke of it because that's kind of how I, as I got older, I kind of coped. So that was my earliest memory of realizing that I was different in school than my friends. And I had a lot of friends. And as I said, they did not struggle at all. Now, coming from a family, you guys know I'm one of five. So, I'm, you know, there's five of us. And my older sister had learning disabilities, really struggled in school. And then I have a sister that's adopted that came when she was three from Korea. And she was a great student. And then there was myself. My younger sister struggled a bit, but not as much. And, and then my brother didn't really struggle in school. So my mom was in education. She was a kindergarten teacher, but she was in education for many years. She was super supportive and really understanding. So I never really felt like, even as I think about it, I never really felt bad about myself to the, like where I felt like I was getting pressure. Like my mom really helped. Any teacher that my older sister had that wasn't a match, she made sure we didn't have it. She was an advocate for us and she was really supportive and just, you know, I was really there for us. So we always knew we can go and ask her for help if we needed help and we could go and complain to her and be, you know, if we were upset. And she was really respected in the community. We lived in the community, but she was also a teacher in the community. And she was like the teacher that would advocate for her students. So like if, you know, and there's a lot of bureaucracy in school and you know, if a kid was struggling, my mom would be the one that would be like, no, this is what we need. Even if the school was like, no, we don't want to have to do this. The parents haven't asked. And she's like, well, I'm telling the parents this is what they need to ask. This is a kid. She was that teacher, which we all need that teacher. So I, you know, I always, as I went through school, I always, she always helped me with my homework. I was always able to lean on her. So I'll never forget, she said to me, and we were just talking about this because you, as you guys know, my oldest is dyslexic. It's been a tough year, but she said to me, 
you know, I'll never forget, you were sitting on the stairs. She's like, you're probably around 10 or 11. So it was probably around this time with fourth grade. She's like, you were sitting on the stairs and it wasn't like you because you usually came home chatty and, you know, happy. And I said to you, you know, what's wrong? And you said, you know, I'm just glad that God made me stupid on the inside and not the outside. And she said her heart just shattered, like just broke into pieces. I was like, oh, mom, that must have killed. She's like, oh, it killed me. She's like, it killed me. She's like, you know, and I don't remember what conversation she had, but she had a conversation with me. I felt fine, but she knew what I meant. You know, she knew what I meant that at least I don't look stupid. Like people can't tell that I'm stupid. So clearly I was feeling not that smart. So back in those days, I didn't have a formal diagnosis because in school, it was like, okay, she just needs extra help. The school kind of did a testing and it was like, she's just behind, she struggles, right? So they didn't do the same sort of testing as they did now. And I also, it is, you know, the school was like a harder school because of where we came from. So it was like, oh, she's just a little bit behind. And so I never had a true diagnosis per se. And then I'll explain to you when that happened. So fast forward to like middle school or ninth or 10th grade. I don't completely remember. I know I remember I had a really great English teacher and I believe it was ninth grade. She got me because I was really good at communicating. Like that's where my strong point was. I was really good at talking, but I was not good at writing and reading. I became fine with it, but definitely was a struggle. I hated reading out loud. I always had to read something before because it just, I couldn't like just sit there and read something. You know, that was like really difficult for me. And if someone called to me, I would get like frozen up. So it was like eighth, ninth, or 10th grade around there. I, and you guys heard, if you've listened to my big picture thinking podcast with Danny, I talk about this, but I had an English teacher. I remember I was sitting next to the window. So I was to the left. I was like in the front seat and she called on me and she was a really strict, mean teacher. She had this big birthmark on her on her face and she was just, she was nasty. She just was really short and like would just call you out on things and just, it was really uncomfortable. And I, it was the beginning of the year. I do kind of remember that. And she called on me to read out loud and I was like, oh my gosh. So again, I stumble over my sentences, like my words. It was really hard for me because usually I would read something ahead of time before, just in case I was called on, but she called on me first. And so I didn't get a chance to do that. And the word public came up and I said pubic. And still to my knowledge, it's still spelled that way. But I remember saying pubic and the class giggling and her going, what are you retarded? Come on, read. And I jumped up and said, what are you a bitch? And I ran out and ran to the vice principal's office who I had a relationship with. So that's why I think it might have been eighth grade because I was there for a couple of years and it wasn't like my first year or high school or maybe it was my second year. But I ran to him hysterical crying. And I was like, oh my God, this is what happened. I couldn't even breathe. And he was like, okay, okay, well, you can't call a teacher a bitch. She's like, but oh my gosh, she called you. It's like, she called me retarded in front of the whole class. And I just remember being devastated. I mean, devastated. It was like, oh my gosh, because I felt stupid, right? And so someone calling me out on, like, it just was awful. So my mom got called she got called in. She's like, she called, and you know, my mom was like, you, you called her retard. Like, what are you, what is wrong with you? So we, my, none of my other siblings ever got that teacher. And I do believe I stayed in that class, but I'm not a hundred percent because usually my mom, you know, my mom did work her magic, but that was something that has stuck with me forever, forever. Like that teacher scarred me at that moment. And that's not okay. That's never okay whether she thought I was being silly or not, to say that and to use that word is just disgusting. But that scarred me. That made me even more kind of go into my shell with school and not ask questions and not call out. So she kind of, 
you know, really did a scar. So then let's think, let's go. So I, as I said, I was like a C student. Sometimes I failed a class. Sometimes I got a D. Sometimes I squeaked out a B. But I was like, you know, a, probably a solid C student, but I had to work my ass off to get there. So I had a guidance counselor tell me that I wasn't going to go to college. My mom just being like, okay, like calling her up and be like, why would you say that? And she's like, well, she's got to work harder. I'm trying to encourage her. And she's like, she struggles in school. You can't say that to someone, right? So I had that. I remember being like, okay, great, thanks. Now, I was a really good athlete, okay? So we had really strong sports in our our town. We used to win state champions. I played field hockey and lacrosse. I was always, you know, I started. I was a high scorer. I was really talented. And I have to say, out of my group of friends that were really good students and really good athletes, I was just as good or better athletically. So I got a lot of my confidence there, okay? So I got a lot of confidence from being a good athlete. Knowing that I wasn't good in school, I kind of became like a little bit more of a jokester and would, you know, say things like, oh, failed another test, you know, way to go. Even though it kind of hurt, but I kind of just pushed it as the jokester. But I really shined on the athletic field. So people knew me for that. And I had a lot of friends. So it was like, you know, I just knew that I had strengths and weaknesses. And I was taught in my house, you know, from my parents from an early age, we all have strengths, we all have weaknesses, right? My sophomore year, I got a letter from Harvard. Yep, Harvard. Saying they wanted to recruit me for field hockey. They needed to see my transcript. And I remember saying to my mom, I can't send them my transcript. They're going to be like, okay. So I wrote the coach a nice letter and I said, listen, you know, I struggle in school. It's not my strong point. And she's like, come on, just get your grades up. We really want to recruit you. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll work on it. And I, I, I remember, I think I even framed the letter. It was, pre- it was pretty cool. But I also kind of knew that I was not going to be going to Harvard because I was not going to be able to get into Harvard, which is kind of a kick in the pants. It's like, oh my gosh, okay. So at one point of my life, I was being highly recruited by like the top schools, but my grades were so bad. And especially as a developing teenager, like what that kind of does, it's a little bit of a mind fuck, to be honest. And, you know, I continued with school, continued to struggle. Now we were going to go into starting taking SATs. So I did get a little bit more of a classification. And again, my mom knew I struggled We had gone outside. I don't think we went outside for testing, but the school always tested. So I did get some support. And now I just asked for extra. So I got like untimed tests and stuff like that. So I could take SATs untimed. And now I'm like junior year and University of Maryland is recruiting me for lacrosse. And I had to get a certain SAT. So that was like junior beginning of senior year where I had like some of my friends going already to like Ivy Leagues. I had friends that were getting highly recruited to really top schools, Penn State for sports, getting, you know, scholarships. And they, because their grades were so good, I also had friends that were like, you know, on the the honor roll every, every quarter, you know, whatever, every quarter. And then there was me, you know, failing some classes like algebra and Latin to not even being able to go to algebra two because I couldn't pass algebra one, but then finally got it and went into geometry. Science was really a struggle for me. English, just writing because I couldn't spell. So, you know, now I had more of a diagnosis. So it was a little bit more specific and it was visual motor integration. So like back in those days, it wasn't like dyslexia or other learning disabilities. It was kind of like visual motor or audio or like memory issues, stuff like that. That's kind of how the LDs were put into your IEP, which I did not have an IEP. I had like a 504. So that's where like I got the untimed test and all those things. So I took the SATs probably, and I might be exaggerating, but I feel like I took them 25 times. 
My best score was on the one that I did not take untimed, but I couldn't get my SAT scores high enough to go to a Division I school. So I'm getting highly recruited by University of Maryland. They wanted to give me money for lacrosse, and I couldn't get my SATs to the number. They were like, your grades, you're a C student, we can work with that. You would obviously come in with academic support, you know, help, but you have to get your SATs up. And I couldn't, I couldn't. I took it untimed. I took it timed. I took it, I did it every weekend. I did it in a class where I had to like have earphones on and listen. I had it read to me. We tried absolutely everything and I couldn't get my SATs. And I think I was one or two points off, okay? So again, think about a high school student, teenage mind, a school that I really was desperately wanting to go to because they had one of the top lacrosse programs and I couldn't get my SATs up to be able to go there. So they're like, okay, listen, you're gonna, we can accept you into Essex, which was their community college. You could go there for two years. We'll redshirt you and then we'll bring you in once you get your grades up. That's how we'll get around the SATs. And I remember having the conversation with my mom and my mom being like, I, just, I think it's too big of a school. I don't know that you're going to get the support. I really don't want you to go to community college. I just want you to go to a regular four-year school. I'm just nervous. She probably didn't say it in those words, but I knew like she didn't want me to like go to a community college and then just not go. She really wanted me to get my four-year diploma. So at that same time, I started applying to Division three schools and I got accepted into Rowan University, which is was Glassboro State. Henry Rowan gave them $100 million for an engineering program when I was there. So it turned into, uh, I graduated from Rowan University. So they were looking at me for two sports, field hockey and lacrosse. I was going to get money, but I was going to go in for academics. And I was only allowed to take 12 credits. And my mom's like, please, let's look at this. Really look at this. My mom had gone there. It used to be a teacher's college. But then again, as I said, like Henry Rowan gave this engineering money. It became more of an established university. Well, not just a teaching college. It was one of the number one teaching colleges in the country. And it was in New Jersey. And I kind of didn't want to stay in New Jersey. So I was like, oh, I really wanted to go further away. This was half an hour. But I was like, all right, you know what? So I turned down Essex in University of Maryland and I went with Rowan. And I have to say, it probably was the best decision of my life for so many different reasons. So I was able to get the academic support. I was only able to take four classes. I went in as a corporate fitness major because I knew I wanted to do something with athletics because obviously that's where I got all my confidence from, you know, and in, 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 other than from my family and friends. But that's where I was like, okay, I really shine. So I want to do something with that. But I don't want to be a phys ed teacher because I also had a thing with teachers. Even though my mom was one, I, you know, kind of didn't love all teachers because I didn't have a great experience. And I didn't want to go back into a school for that same reason. And I didn't want to go to extra college. So I was like, okay, this is corporate. I can do this in the business world where I knew my personality. That is something that, not to toot my own horn, but I always have liked myself. I am a confident person. Even when I was a kid struggling, I was a confident person because I do have a personality that people, you know, I make people happy and and laugh. And so I wanted to do something like that. So business, I was like, this is great and I can make a good living. So during that time, I was playing field hockey and lacrosse. So I was doing two sports, training for both and going to school. And that's tough, right? I mean, that's tough. So I started also struggling in college and I was like, I I don't know how I'm going to do this. I don't know how I'm going to do this. I ended up hurting my back, tweaking my back for a second at that same time, being like, I wonder if I should change my major. 
So there was a lot of stuff. I remember calling my mom, I think it was my sophomore year, freshman, sophomore year, towards the end of freshman year, being like, I'm I'm gonna drop out. I don't wanna do this anymore. It's too hard. I can't concentrate. I can't study. Like I now I'm not with my mom, who was always my support person and who always helped me study. So I was like, mom, I just can't do this on my own. Like I'm sitting in class and you know, these would be like classes that had, let's say 50 people. I'm like, I'm counting red shirts and like hearing people tap their their pencils and their clock. And my mom would be like, you know, I was like, I think I'm going to quit and be a stewardess. And she's like, okay, are you good at being, you know, did you enjoy being a waitress? And I was like, no, I hated it. She's like, okay, well, that's, you're doing that in the sky. And I was like, uh, all right. So she really encouraged me to stay. So to my dad, I just remember it very vividly being like, oh my gosh, I just don't know that I can do this. So I was watching a, I don't know if it was like an infomercial or something. I was in my apartment in college. So that's why I know it was my sophomore year. And this doctor came on and he was talking about attention deficit. And I called my mom. I was like, oh my gosh, I have attention deficit. And she's like, yes. And this is like when it was first coming to fruition. Okay. So it was like early nineties. And and I wouldn't say first coming to fruition, but like where it was getting more diagnosis. And my mom's like, yes, you know, I, I kind of always assume that your dad, your older sister, she's like, we didn't want to medicate you as a kid because we didn't know what that would do. We didn't want you to become dependent on something. And I was like, I totally get it. I was like, but I, I feel like I want to go talk to a doctor. I don't want to be dependent on a medication, but I also want to know how, like, I definitely have, you know, this is what I have. Like, so that's a chemical imbalance. I definitely want to go talk to someone. And I did not have any depression. As I said, I was a very positive, happy person, which I still am. But I definitely had some anxiety, like not crazy anxiety, but I definitely had anxiety. And that does go hand in hand with attention deficit. I talked to my mom. We decided, you know what, I'm going to go and go to this doctor. So I went to the doctor. He was like, 100% your attention deficit. There's some really good things that we have right now that I know are going to help with your attention and focus and really help. So I was like, all right. So I got this book also called Driven to Distraction the same time I went on Ridlin. okay? Now, as a kid, I was never able to sit and read a book. Like I was not able to sit and do a lot of stuff. I was super active. So I got this book and I started reading it at the same time I got diagnosed, the same time I started Ritalin. Now, Ritalin, I remember the first time I took it, I was in my kitchen in my college apartment with my roommates. And I basically went like I was on speed. It was insane. And then I settled down and then I could feel it leave my body. And I was like, absolutely not. I was like, I cannot take something like this. This is insane. This is crazy. So quickly I talked to the doctor. I was like, I don't like that. So he's like, okay, so we tried something else. So we tried something called Adderall, which is an amphetamine. It's got four salts and there was like two for inattentive, one for focus. I guess maybe that's the same thing, but one also for like depression or anxiety. Okay. Or the two salts for that. Maybe it was two inattentive salts and two for like moods, like depression and anxiety. So I started taking that. I did not feel anything. Okay. And I remember being really nervous when I went on meds that it was going to change who I was. And as I said, I really liked myself. So I didn't want it to change who I was, but I knew I needed some help with focus in school because it was not working. And not just my struggles in school, but like also I just could not focus. So I started taking this. I did not, I could not literally feel anything when I started taking it. And I would say about two, and I remember going to class, sitting and having the professor talk and me being able to write notes and then going home and studying and like understanding, connecting the notes with the lecture and remembering it to the T. And then all of a sudden I started doing really well in school. Like 
honor roll, doing really well in school. My mom sent that first honor roll to my guidance counselor in high school. And basically my mom does not curse, but it basically was like, in your fucking face, lady, don't tell people they're not going to college before you know what the fuck you're talking about, right? I mean, I was so proud of myself. I can't even tell you. So then though, I started all of a sudden one day I woke up and I just started crying and I couldn't stop crying. And I was like, what is going on? I called my mom, called my, you know, talked to my dad and uh, called the doctor. And the doctor's like, okay, I was a little bit worried about this because you don't have any of the mood disorders. You just have like, you know, attention deficit, but no mood disorder. So this is supposed to help with that, but we're probably gonna have to put you on an antidepressant to level it off because you don't need that, but it's affecting your mood. And I was like, oh my God, I don't wanna take something else. Again, I didn't wanna take something that I was dependent on. And I was a little bit ashamed that I had to take something to be able to help me do, you know. So the more I read though, Driven to Distraction, it's by Dr. Howell and Dr. Ratley. They're both Harvard doctors and they both have attention deficit and maybe one just does and the other didn't I might be misspoken I mean I read this when I was you know in 18 19 years old and I just remember being like I love having attention deficit this is my superpower this is my fucking superpower the more I learned about it my dad was like oh my god I think I have this my mom's like 100% honey you have this my older sister was diagnosed my dad was diagnosed my dad and I would go to conferences it was actually a great bonding experience for my dad and I we would go to conferences on attention deficit. We couldn't learn, like we couldn't stop learning. It was like we were absorbing all this stuff and it was because our chemicals were balanced in our brain, right? So I actually stopped playing sports and changed my major to communications, radio, television, film. It was really hard for me to stop playing sports, but I was so like, just like so amazed that school was becoming easier for me. And I wasn't, I didn't have to study. I didn't have to struggle because everything was clicking. And it was a pretty fascinating thing for me to go through. So I have to say, I don't have my children and I have one child that is attention deficit and I don't have him on any medicines. We use homeopathy now. And so I am not on medicine anymore. I probably was on it for 10 years then, and so my husband, when I met him, I was on meds. Um, I remember when we were ready, when we got married and we were ready to have a baby and we had to stop, obviously, because you have to let it out of your system. I was like, oh my God, I'm, I'm a little nervous. <laughs> you might be like, holy shit, that's a lot of energy because I was pretty, you know, I'm not mellow. Gosh, there's, there's nothing mellow about me, but I was a little bit more leveled when I was on meds. So I was a little bit not all over the place, if that makes sense. So I did stop. I got pregnant right away. And whatever hormones were in my body during that time, I did not need to go back on meds. Then breastfeeding the same, and then we got pregnant right away again. I do remember between Truman and Penelope, and I think I've talked about this before, where I had stopped breastfeeding and we weren't pregnant. I remember Dan and I, and I'm gonna go into this in my next episode, talk about adulthood with this, but I felt a bouncy ball going from my my head to my toes, like my entire body. It was crazy, but then we got pregnant again. And then we use homeopathy. So I have a homeopathic doctor that I use that I absolutely love. My anxiety is like zero. I mean, well, let's say like 2% because it's never zero, but my everything else is really good. I really, really like that whatever remedy I'm on and she does very specific ones. So I know like if any of you want to ask me questions about this, please email me at juliet at nextstopcrazytown.com. It's Juliet, J-U-L-I-E-T. 
but my, child, my, my son doesn't use any meds for attention deficit. There has been times where I have been like, would he, would school be easier? But I don't know what meds do to a growing body. And I know that if I didn't know myself as well as I did, it would have been a way more struggle figuring out what doses and what meds I would need. So I just, I'm not, we're not going there until he's old enough to make his own choices. But I have to say, it has been a journey. I would never change any part of it because it has made me who I am. We are all very successful people. We're all happy people. Yep, I struggle. Yep, I can be cuckoo and crazy sometimes, but those are the things that I love about myself. It just is who God made me. So if any of this resonated with you guys, if you have any questions, if you want to talk anything through, if you're, you know, you have a child struggling or you have been struggling, reach out because I can put you in touch with my homeopath. I can definitely recommend Driven to Distraction. It was a wonderful book. It made attention deficit so positive because you, as some of you know, they don't make it as positive. You know, it's like the awkward kid that's cl- close talks and, you know, is physical and my family, we don't have that attention deficit. I always say we have the good attention deficit. We have the one that makes us really fun and like really energetic and can do 10,000 things at once, but we're really self-aware and we're really aware of the people around us. And I think that's just the, you know, a blessing. And I sometimes I'm like, is that because I'm a female? But no, because my son is the same exact way. And so is my dad. So it's one of those things that I, I, I love and appreciate about us. So again, please share with your friends write a review. Let me know what you think. Again, Juliet at nextstopcrazytown.com. You can find me on all the socials, Juliet Han on Facebook, at nextstopcrazytown on Instagram, or at JulietLYF3. All right, guys, talk to you soon. Hey, moms, I'm talking to you. Do you feel like when you wake up that you did not get a good night's sleep or three o'clock comes around and you're looking for that caffeinated beverage or that sugary snack or your kid's crappy carb snack because you just don't have enough energy? Well, I was there four years ago and I actually can help. I changed things in my life that made a huge difference. I became a virtual health and fitness coach. And what I can do for you is I can set you up with a workout program that is on every level. You can do it from the comfort of your own home. You can do it in the gym. You can do it from anywhere. I also help figure out how to balance your diet out with a few simple steps. I help you with recipes, easy, quick, healthy recipes for your entire family. I am doing a special this month. So if you are interested, it's $160 to get in. And what you get is you get me as your health and fitness coach. You get an accountability group with other women that are in the same boat as yourself. I will help you with meal planning and I will help you with recipes. Again, easy and quick and good. I will also just help give you that encouragement to tell you that you can do it on the days that are hard. There's a couple ways you can reach out to me. One is the Google Doc. There is a link that you can fill out and I will get back to you. Or you can email me directly at Juliet, J-U-L-I-E-T-L-Y-F-3 at gmail.com. I look forward to helping you get your energy back and feel comfortable in your skin again. I hope you liked this episode of Next Stop Crazy Town. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe to my channel, share with your friends, and join in every week. For more information, check out nextstopcrazytown.com.